Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, though a special Senate election is still months away, the leading candidates are wasting no time campaigning across Mississippi. We'll hear from three of them. And after Everyday Tech, learn more about why the National Park Service is interested in some landmarks of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. Any of these sites uh, would really highlight the civil rights significance of a whole variety of sites in Mississippi. And it would bring a new level of scholarly research to the civil rights movement in Mississippi, which would really supplement what has already gone on with the Civil Rights Museum that's just opened. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. With the special election for U.S. Senate still months away, the top candidates are eagerly campaigning to gain support from Mississippi voters. Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith was appointed to temporarily fill the U.S. Senate seat previously held by Thad Cochran, who retired. She faces four other candidates in a November special election. Hyde-Smith says her new day job in the U.S. Senate keeps her from campaigning during the work week. But she tells MPB's Mark Rigsby she makes up for lost time on the weekends. She says her work in Mississippi has prepared her to win her temporary seat on a permanent basis. Well, I tell you, being in the state Senate for three terms uh, served me much better. The memory came back of uh, so many things, of just procedure things that has really helped me. I've presided over the Senate. Uh, I think I've presided over the Senate four times now. So pretty comfortable doing that. And, uh, you know, it's just it is a process that's new, but it's not uh, just totally something out of the ordinary for me in the political life. You just, when you come in alone, though it's solo, you don't have that freshman class. You don't have all those orientations that the new ones go through. I just have to fall into the stream and keep going. But you meet with constituents. You understand how important that is to listen. You follow up with what's needed. And then you go to your committee assignments and you, the committee meetings and the subcommittees at your own. You just get in there and Luckily, it has just fallen into place for us, and I feel really good about what I've done the last three weeks, and I'm very comfortable doing that. It sounds like it's not overwhelming. It's like riding a bike. It's not. Part of it is overwhelming of just being the decision was so quick and being away from home and adjusting and not really having a place to lay your head at night when everybody else goes home. But, you know, we're getting through those things. The adjustment will be fine. But the procedure office work every day, the committee assignment work, I am thoroughly enjoying. How is your campaign coming along? Oh, it's coming along great. I could not be happier with, uh, you know, where I see us going now. November is several months away. So you have to pace yourself. You have to look out for the things that need to fall into place. And I think that we're online and headed in that direction right now. To be working all week long, to be voting and taking care of your responsibilities as a U.S. Senator, and then having to come home and campaign on the weekend, it's just management. It's having the right people in place. It's having a good campaign staff that uh, they have you set up to where you need to be. And, uh, you know, you just don't need to get overwhelmed. We're going to 
take it one day at a time, get up that morning, get our get prayed up, as I say, put on that armor of God and head out and do what we need to do that day, but stay consistent because there's not anybody out there that can outwork me. You know, I, uh, I'm a fierce campaigner. I've been through campaigns before. I know what it takes, and it takes a strong start, and it takes a strong finish, and we plan to be there every step of the way doing what we're supposed to do. So I feel good about that. Are you concerned at all at this point that you have not received the endorsement of the President of the United States? You know, I'm the senator from Mississippi, And uh, the people in Mississippi are the ones that are going to support me. I have a very good relationship with the president. And, no, that doesn't concern me. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of steps to get to there. We're going through the steps, and we're going to be absolutely fine with that. Do you think you will have his endorsement by the end? Well, I can't answer for him, but all I can say is we're having some very good meetings. Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. State Senator Chris McDaniel is also a Republican. He narrowly lost a bitter primary campaign against Senator Thad Cochran in 2014. Now he's aiming to win the U.S. Senate seat many of his supporters believe rightfully belongs to him. McDaniel is wary of a recent poll that shows him a distant third place behind Hyde-Smith and Democrat Mike Espy. Well, we have numbers, too. And the poll numbers sometimes are placed out there to uh, adjust expectations. We understand that. That's the way the game is played. But I can tell you this. Right now, they've spent almost $3 million against me in just the past few weeks. And so naturally, they see me uh, as, a, as a viable threat, or they wouldn't be spending that kind of money against me. And when I say they, I'm talking about the establishment, obviously. But despite that, my poll numbers remain solid. And uh, we're going to be successful in November, no question about that. What are your poll numbers showing? Oh, I can't get into details of that. I can just tell you that it's a it's a close race. It's a good close race. And uh, you look at it from the standpoint of watching these numbers develop over time. And considering the fact that they spent so much money against me in 2014, and they're spending so much money against me now, considering the fact that we're all running so close, that's a really good sign for me. So as we look down the stretch and we understand that uh, there are going to be debates and there are going to be contrasting ads and people have to decide what they want to do in this race. And ultimately what I offer is this. I'm the only lifetime Republican in this race. I'm the only conservative in this race. And so if you're a Republican voter, if you're a conservative, then I should be your candidate. What's your number one issue? Number one issue from my standpoint, it has to be the national debt. Uh, There's no greater threat to our prosperity, no greater threat uh, to our long-term sustainability than the, the national debt. So that's something I talk about quite often. Number two, I see Washington being dysfunctional. The system is broken. They're not listening to the people of Mississippi, and that's really a shame. And so that leads to my second point, which is very close to my first. Mississippians have to have a voice, and we have to change the way we've been doing things for the past 100 years. The establishment has been in control, and consequently, the same families, the same money, the same people always find the contracts. They always find the riches. But regular Mississippians are always left out. We have to make sure that Washington hears us again, that they're responsive to us again. And one of the best ways to do that is through term limits. Where have you been campaigning this past week? You name it. We went all the way from Olive Branch, Mississippi, all the way down to um, Jones County. There's no group uh, that, that invites me to speak that we won't speak to, even if they disagree with me. I feel it's important to be out there in front of the people at all times. And that way they can see who I really am as opposed to the attack ads. You know, the attack ads are so unfair and they're so one-sided and they paint such a nasty, distorted picture of who I am. So 
anytime I can get in front of people, man, I'm ready. I'll uh, I'll go anytime. Yeah, the attack ads that you refer to paint you as the trial lawyer. They claimed I was for Obamacare. That's an outright lie. They claimed I was against the tax cuts. That's an outright lie. They claimed that I was hostile to Donald Trump. That's an outright lie. And then the uh, the last lie deals with my um, practice in law. And here's the way it breaks down. I've been practicing law now roughly 16 or 17 years. And the great overwhelming majority of my cases have been defending small businesses from lawsuits. That's just what we do. That's what our firm has always done. Outside of all those hundreds of cases that we've handled, we've only had a very small number of what folks would consider plaintiff-type cases. And one of those was my first cousin. That's the case they keep referring to. It was my first cousin who was burned over 95% of his body. Are the Republicans, do you believe, concerned at all that since this is such a strong Republican state, that having two strong candidates would split the vote and basically pave the way or open the window for a Democrat to win? I think I think there is some concern there. I don't think it's well-founded, but I think the concern here is that when I announced I was the only Republican candidate in the race, and technically speaking, I'm still the only lifelong Republican candidate in the race. State Senator Chris McDaniel. Mike Espy is a Democrat who served three terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. He was also U.S. Secretary of Agriculture under former President Bill Clinton. Espy outlines his qualifications for our Mark Rigsby. I've been involved in federal issues for a long, long time. Of course, I, I served six years in the United States Congress. I was on the Agriculture Committee, the Budget Committee. Uh, I dealt with very large issues, and I enjoyed it, and I thought I did a good job. You know, it's up to the people, of course, to to judge that, but uh, I enjoyed the experience, and I think I could offer my experience to Mississippi as we now move toward uh, other issues in in difficult times. I also served in the sector of agriculture. So uh, among all of the others in the race, I mean, I'm the one with direct federal experience uh, uh, directly targeted to economics of Mississippi, rural development of Mississippi, the health care improvement of Mississippi, agriculture Mississippi. I've been involved in those issues, and I think I have something to offer. What's the number one issue for you if you were to win? Jobs and economy. Jobs and economy. Make sure that uh, every Mississippian, you know, uh, who, who wants to work and willing to work, right, I would have an opportunity to find uh, gainful employment at a good wage. Uh, that, that's number one. Number two has got to be health care. Uh, when I was Secretary of Agriculture, I was known as the mayor of rural America. Every town in America, 50,000 people and below, would have to come to the USDA for their water, for their sewer, for their telephones, for their housing. And so I'm very familiar with those issues. And, and I think that we've seen rural hospitals all across the country and all across Mississippi becoming more insolvent, having to deal with uh, economic problems and just having to struggle to stay alive to open their doors as health care costs continues to increase. So uh, that's got to be front and center of something that, that I'm going to work on. Stop, stop, build up the rural hospitals and improve the, the medical opportunities for rural people. As we all know, this is a firmly red state now, Republican. You've kind of been through the years with, uh, you know, being on the Democratic side of things and, yes. and, and seen things change in this state. What do you think about your chances of, of getting through and actually winning this seat? Well, I'm a Democrat. I'm proud to be a Democrat, but I'm also a Mississippian. And in my history, if you go back and judge it, uh, I vote also across party lines. Uh, after Katrina, 
the devastation of Katrina, there was a gubernatorial election. There were two candidates, and one of them was Haley Barber. And uh, uh, I not only endorsed Haley Barber, but I campaigned for Haley Barber. But I said, why? Because at that time, Mississippi uh, was, uh, was just uh, trying to recover from the devastation of Katrina. And I thought that Haley Barber at that time, and I said this at that time, although I'm a Democrat, that I was endorsing work for Haley Barber because he was the one with the network and the ability to call then President Bush uh, and just help to bring Mississippi out of that depths of destruction. So uh, I cross party lines. Uh, I've done it before. And when I'm in the Senate, uh, I do believe I'm going to win this. I can win this. It's, uh, it's all in the numbers about turnout and, and what you have to do. And so we're going to do that. Secretary Mike Espy. Tupelo's Democratic Mayor Jason Shelton is also on the ballot, as is Gulf Coast resident Toby Barty. We spoke to Jason Shelton last week, and you can find that interview on our website, mpbonline.org. Even though most of the candidates have strong party ties, candidates in Mississippi's special elections will all run against each other without party labels. The special election will be on the same day as other congressional elections, Tuesday, November 6th. Coming up after Everyday Tech, learn more about why the National Park Service is interested in some landmarks of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Contrere, and today we're discussing podcast. So, Wilts, what exactly is a podcast? Podcasts are digitally recorded shows that are put out on the Internet for people to enjoy on just a whole bunch of different topics. These are generally going to be done by people who are an enthusiast. For example, here at our station, our different shows are actually turned into podcasts for people to be able to enjoy later in its audio form. You'll find people with different hobbies will actually put together podcasts for things that they're really interested in. It's very similar to the item that you're listening to right now, which is a small segment of information, short, sweet, concise, to get information out to people, especially those who are really interested in that subject. So is a podcast almost similar to a blog, but in audio form? That's a great way of describing it, Michelle. It's people bringing their thoughts and their their opinions and their experiences out there, and very much like that blog, that written format, making it more audio. Some of the best ones out there are very simple. It could be a person or two maybe just having a conversation, such as you and I here today, talking about a different topic. So again, there's so many different subjects that are out there. So really, whatever it is you're into, you could end up coming across. Um, there are popular podcasts out regarding, say, gardening, uh, different hobbies, hunting, fishing, news topics, food, eating, maybe even you know audio. You can think of almost like an audio review of maybe a new restaurant in town. Just so much information you can come across. Some of the ones that my wife enjoys, for example, deal with cooking and recipes. So it's really cool that whatever it is you may be interested in, more than likely someone out there has actually made a podcast about it. How reliable are podcasts? Well, reliability can really depend on the podcaster themselves. I would advise folks to not just, because you hear it in a podcast, take it as essentially the gospel truth. But remember, 
just like reading an article, just like visiting a web page, just like honestly even talking to someone in a particular field, you still need to take that back yourself and analyze and make sure, hey, is this safe? Is this right? Because everyone's got an opinion and it's it's still up to us at the end of the day to evaluate that opinion and make sure that it actually works for us. So how can someone create a podcast? Well, there's quite a few tools out there to do this. And really, all you need is a microphone, a subject, and with your regular computer, it's just a recording of essentially your voice. Some people can actually add video to this. We see this a lot with your YouTube and some of those kind of programs like that. But uh, really, it just takes an audio recorder a little bit of your time and plenty of websites out there that you can upload these things to for free for other people to be able to listen into. Even say your Android and your iPhone, your Apple stores can actually accommodate some of that. So who regulates podcasts? Well, it, it's very much like social media. It is regulated by the community. So when you have someone that may have a good or positive podcast, you're going to probably see quite a bit of activity around there. You'll get people's opinions on that. And by the same token, if you have one that maybe is less than enjoyable or people have problems with them being you know, not quite as accurate as they would like, um, likewise, just like social media, people are going to make comments out there to that effect as well. So before you really start listening to different podcasts, you definitely want to do a little bit of research on them and see, you know, hey, is this person actually worth my time to listen to? So, Michelle, a podcast is really a way for people to reach an extended audience. It allows your voice to reach a whole bunch of other folks that maybe share those same interests and those same passions that you have. It's pretty much a free thing to get into, and you never know. It could turn into something really big. We've seen a lot of shows that really just started off with people's passions, and it's amazing how those passions can grow. So there is something out there. And there's definitely something out there for you. And you know what? If you don't find it, make your own trail and put it together yourself. You may just be surprised at who really wants to listen. We will talk more about podcast on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A study team from the National Park Services is coming to Mississippi to get input on significant civil rights sites that could receive park designation. Among the sites the team is evaluating are the home of voting rights activist Medgar Evers, who was gunned down outside his Jackson house in 1963, and areas related to the murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till in the Delta. Jennifer Bond is with the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. She's excited about the potential National Park designation and hopes people will attend a series of public forums held around the state beginning next week. She spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier about why these particular sites are of interest. The standard is national significance. So um, the, the Medgar and Murley Evers home is already designated as a National Historic Landmark, which means that it is, they have already, the, the National Park Service has already declared that to be of national significance. So that is already set in that respect. Um, the 
Sumner, the courthouse, the Tallahatchie Courthouse at Sumner, has been um, kind of preliminarily uh, found to be have national significance. Uh, it has not actually been listed yet uh, as a national historic landmark. Um, in Philadelphia, the uh, there is a, a downtown Philadelphia historic district that has been listed on the National Register at the national level of significance for its association with the deaths, uh, the murders of the, the civil rights workers and the two marches that uh, Martin Luther King led uh, in that in town, in downtown Philadelphia. Um, of course, the jail where they were held uh, as the Klan prepared to ambush them uh, is still there. It's not a jail anymore, but uh, that building is still there. So they're looking at that. Um, they're also looking at some other sites associated with that uh, series of events, uh, namely the Mount Zion Methodist Church, which was the church that was burned down. Now, so that so uh, they're not necessarily looking at all these sites to be brought into the Park Service. Um, but these might be, if some of them are brought in, others would be potentially kind of uh, allied sites that would be sites that visitors could go to and have an experience uh, at these other sites that wouldn't necessarily be Park Service sites. How significant is this for Mississippi? Huge significance. Uh, you know, we only have a, a few Park Service sites in Mississippi, the Vicksburg National Military Park, being the largest and oldest, uh, Natchez Historical Park uh, was brought in in the 90s, and that's been huge for for Natchez, uh, for uh, not just the tourism in Natchez, but also the research about the different uh, areas of significance of Natchez uh, in all phases of of history, including the um, the prehistoric phases of our history of with the Natchez Grand Village and then the uh, antebellum era and the Reconstruction era. So that's been huge for Natchez to have that park. I know the store in Money, Mississippi, that's just about all gone. Is few remnants of that left at that site. Right. So they would have to rebuild that? That's a difficult site. Uh, one of the things that has to uh, before a site can be brought into the Park Service, it needs to be uh, publicly owned, and that is one site that is not publicly owned. Um, they generally don't, uh, you know, do any sort of uh, taking of the property to take it into the Park Service. So um, it is in a very ruinous condition, and that's a difficult site to um, know what to do with, and that's uh that's something certainly they have looked at and will continue to look at as, as to what they what can be done there. What do you want Mississippians to know about this as we close this out? I'm just excited that they're down uh, looking at these sites, and uh, I'd love for them to anybody who has an opinion and has an interest to come out and uh, be a part of this. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. 
Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. MPB is on the move, and this week we're heading to South Haven. We know you're listening out there in northwest Mississippi, and we want to meet you. So come on over to Steak by Melissa this Thursday, May 3rd. To get all the details and get on the list, email us at info at mpbfoundation.org or call MPB toll-free 833-613-2033. That's info at mpbfoundation.org or call MPB 